the best thing all of us could do is if you're holding on to things uh, from the past, well, that's obvious. You let that go. But also, this is something that will really bless you if you'll do it. And I didn't figure this out on my own. Is I don't figure out anything on my own. <laughs> Actually, I've come to that. Is we all have expectations about our future, right? We 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 see ourselves and see our future going a certain way. Maybe see ourselves doing certain things. And I tell you, a healthy thing to do is have a little prayer with the Lord and say, "Well, Lord, this is sort of how I see my future going." But just in case. That's not what you see. I want to let go of that. I want to let go of that. And whatever that specific thing is, if you'll do that, and then hold what you do have with an open hand, you'll get some freedom. Because I think a lot of people have expectations. Your expectations are, are destroying you. You have expectations that are not happening. And perhaps what God is trying to tell people is you have the wrong expectation. You're expecting me to do something. You're expecting things to be a certain way in your life. And he, he has a different heart. He has a better, a better heart, a bigger heart. And it's just a freeing time we're in right now. It's a time of liberty to be able to let go and, and just get over things and be free to live the life that God wants you to live, even the life that you may not have planned to live. And I'm talking about spiritual things, and I'm talking about practical things. You know what I'm saying? Are y'all connecting with this? And I believe if you'll do it, you'll be a happier person. And you'll be more free in your heart to hear what God is saying to you in this hour. Because He may be having a little different conversation with you. And the reason you're not hearing Him is because you're trying to hear the old conversation or the conversation you thought He wanted to have with you. And He's saying, no, we're having a different conversation. And God's got having conversations. I'll tell you another thing that I was thinking about. Um, one of the last things that happened uh, before Bob Jones passed away, one of the last things uh, is had a dream. And part of the dream was God wanted to do something different with this church. He wanted to remodel this church. And that was before he knew that we actually physically remodeled the church. Um, and in the dream, he saw different people bringing different things for the remodel. Now, we're talking spiritual now. We're not talking about natural. Um, and one of the things that he brought was a door, the door for the church. Okay? Now, everything has a meaning. Uh, and I think if Bob Jones brought you a door... Uh, the obvious meaning is God has given a prophetic door to this church. A prophetic door. That's something to be happy about, right? Y'all, come on. Y'all, I mean, I mean, one of the greatest prophets of, our, of my generation gives us a door. See, what I'm trying to get you to hear is, is I'm, getting, I'm trying to get you to change, to change the way you think. And change your expectations. Because I think a lot of people are tuned into something spiritually. And it's like the channel went off. You know, back in my day as a child, uh, radio at 5 o'clock would sign off. Y'all remember, y'all remember that? <laughs> they would sign off the station in our town that we lived in. And I know somebody find that hard to believe, you know, because you got 24-hour everything now. But this, the radio would literally, we're signing off, and they'd go through this big, you know, rigmarole, this statement they would say about, you know, about signing off and, you know, real official sounding. And, and it was off. Once they signed off, it was over. It was done. You know what I'm saying? And I think there's channels in our life, there's spiritual channels in our life that God has said, hey, we've signed off. There's another channel for you. And if you open your heart up by letting go of things and holding everything you do have with an open hand, you can tune into the channel that God's on now. Because God's on a different channel. I'm going to just tell you that than what He was. And I was telling the Lord, you know, Lord, you can, won't you do something new? And I felt like the Lord said, why don't I do something fresh? Yeah. 
Okay? Because if God wants to do something old, but put fresh breath on it, like what that was, that was really the Lord what Dean said. He can make an old song alive. He can make something old in your life alive. So we need to be, you know, I heard a prophet one time say, out with, everybody was saying out with the old and in with the new. He said, forget it. Out with the old and in with the even older. <laughs> in with the even older. The cross, that's the older. So those are just things I feel like God wants to encourage us with, um, you know, to, to help you to see that we're in a time of liberty, in a time of, of newness in the Spirit. And I just want to encourage you to find, find that liberty and find that newness. And be free. Be free to have dreams and be free to see your life different and be see to, free to see God do different things with you. And if you do that, I think you're going to be happy as a person and, and happy with what God is, is trying to do. Amen? All right, so I was listening to a preacher on television, and I was really watching him really close uh, because he's a really dynamic preacher. Y'all ever like, watch somebody, how, what they're doing and how they're doing it? Well, you know, if you're a carpenter, you would watch a really good carpenter if you wanted to be good, right? I would. I mean, yeah. So I was watching this particular preacher. Not that I was trying to emulate him because, one, my name is not T.D. Jakes. <laughs> But I was fascinated about his ministry, about how he preaches and how he operates. And, and uh, you know, he's changed a lot. He's gotten old, actually. Old T.D.'s got some age on him, but he still has that, that burning thing in him. And uh, I'm convinced that he has an angel with him, talking to him while he's preaching. I'm really totally convinced on that because I've noticed that he does something every once in a while. He'll say something to nobody in particular. Like one time he said, they didn't hear that. He turned to his side and there was nobody to his side. He was looking at the wall. They didn't hear that. They didn't get that. Because I don't really think nobody can really preach like that if they didn't have some angel talking to them and telling them what to say. Because he'll go along with his script and then all of a sudden he'll go off script. and uh, um, Well... I think the Lord wants to give people angels to help them and make you aware of it. Now, that's not craziness. That's, that's in the Bible. You know, when Jesus was in the garden, angels came to him, ministered to him. You know, it's really in, in the spiritual world. But I think God wants to bring us into a time where we're more aware of what God's doing and the help that he wants to send people. If that sounds weird to you, read the Bible. That's all I want. Just read the Bible, okay, and, and let go of some crazy thoughts and let God begin to work in your life in a new and fresh way. Amen? Well, one thing that I wanted to share, are you all okay? Uh, is, is someone gave me this word recently, and they said, the, the Lord's going to give you some unsaved friends. And I thought, daggone. You know, I don't really have a lot of friends. Um, I don't. I would be really uh, welcoming that in my life. Actually, is unsaved people. Uh, what I want to talk to you about this morning is in Luke 15, uh, and it starts out. I'm not. I don't have all these scriptures out there, but in Luke 15, verse one, it, the way it starts out. Jesus was with some sinners. Okay? That's what he, he was with these sinners. And actually it says, if you really study the real original language, these were really bad sinners. I mean, really bad people. Okay? I mean, the bad ones. Not just people who are just wanting to do bad stuff, but these were really people who were just bad in their heart. Okay? And it really offended uh, the church people of his day. The representatives, the leaders, with the Pharisees, they were offended that Jesus was spending time. And they said, look, he's with these sinners. And he's even eating with them. In that day, whoever you ate with was not like today. We can eat with people and, and be glad to be away from them when we got done with it. But in that day, when you ate with a the person, there was a fellowship. There was a community 
that was being established. And they were just so upset with Jesus hanging around bad people. Okay? How many people in this room would be a little bit nervous to be seen in certain situations with a, a, a person who was obviously dre- cross-dressed? You know what I'm saying? Like, this, you're hanging out with this person, this guy who has, obviously he's a guy because he's got big hairy hands and... He's ugly, but he's got a wig on. He's got lipsticks. How many people would be uncomfortable to be seen in a public place with a person like that? I think a lot of people would, right? I mean, just be honest with you, with yourself, okay? Uh, But Jesus was never ashamed of who he hung around with. He was never ashamed of people. And he was willing to to be seen with the worst people of, of, of the culture and society of that day. The worst people. And I believe that the Lord wants a, a body of Christ, a people of God who's willing to be publicly seen with people that you wouldn't want to be, you wouldn't want your kids hanging around with, right? And I believe that God, part of the, the, the move of God, I believe that, that God is going to release in the earth is Christians mingling with desperate people in the world mingling with them in the past it was like oh don't you know you're going to get messed up and you know that's sort of a very low level revelation if everything's going to if everything's going to mess you up so bad for hanging around with there's something wrong wrong with you you might not should hang around you might might get some holy ghost power going in your life where you you've you can overcome whatever comes at you so anyways jesus was was with these guys so he he began to to tell them what we call parables, a story to help them see something, okay? Uh, and we know those stories. If you know this scripture, Luke 15, there's, there's three stories there. But there's, I believe they're really, it's really one story. There's, there's one, what they call the parable of the lost sheep, where there was a man, he says, what man of you? That's what he said, because he was addressing the Pharisees when they were putting him down for him. And he said, what man of you? If you had a hundred sheep that you wouldn't leave those hundred and go look, and one of them drifted off, you wouldn't go look for that one to find that one. And then, then, then he goes to the next parable and he says, what, what man of you would be like a woman who had these silver coins and she lost one of them? And she swept her whole house looking for that one coin you know, lit, lit a lamp to, to find that one coin. And then finally, he taught the last story, which everybody, probably in most people even in the world knows, is the prodigal son. He says, a man had two sons. And one left, and one was a very difficult person. He sort of tells the story around those two sons. Well, I think that that parable is really, for me, okay, I'm not trying to, I believe it's for us. Okay, I will say that. I believe it's for us. I believe it's for the church. I believe we really need to hear the, the heart of the Lord. The screaming, when I read that parable, it screams at me. And it, it's really been, you know, for the last 10 years of my life, it's really been an integral part of my life, that, that parable. It's, it's spoken to me. It's, it's because in that parable, I really see a revelation of God the Father. And what his heart is really like towards all people. And his heart to reach people. Even the Pharisees. Even the Pharisees. Because a lot of think, people think Jesus might have been down on Pharisees. But he really wasn't. He was down on what they were doing. But he really loved them. Um, everybody, in, you know, everybody in this room has lost something at some point in your life, right? I mean... Like you've lost your keys. How many people lose their keys? Uh, you know, here's my favorite lost key story. Once I came up here to the church and I was in my office and I had a visitor named Larry Faldo. He came into my office. He sat down and chit-chat with me a while and got up and left. Okay? I spent the rest of the day and it was time for me to go home. I got ready to go home. And I started looking, and I thought, well, where's my keys at? I thought I left them here. And I looked all over the place, and I hadn't been anywhere. I even called Becky. I thought I brought my keys. Do you have my keys? <laughs> I was going nuts. I looked and looked and looked. 
And then I started going back through my whole day. Everywhere I went in this building, I looked and I could not find the keys nowhere. So finally I said, the only thing I need to do is ask Larry Falter, do you have my keys? And I called him, Larry, do you have my keys? No! <laughs> Why would I have your keys? Uh-oh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he took my keys and put them in his pocket as they were laying on the desk there and walked off and went home. <laughs> So I've lost lots of things that I really didn't lose. You know? <laughs> Somebody else lost them for me. You know? And I think we've all lost stuff like that, but you really, we, we really didn't lose them. We found them somewhere. You know? But there are things that people lose that we can't find. You know, like a per, if we can lose a relationship with a person. How many people have lost relationship? You know, there's divorce. You lose relationship. Or you lose a relationship with a friend. There's a misunderstanding. There's a great divide that happens. That kind of stuff is just absolutely crushing for people. Crushing for people. Or someone in your family or someone in your life that you dearly love, they die young or they die too soon. You lose a parent. Maybe they, it was time for them to go, but it's still such a a painful loss in your life uh, that you can't, you can't bear it. It's interesting. One of the things that Jesus said when he, uh, when he was preaching in Matthew 18, he said, the, and this is crazy. I've never thought about this. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and, and save that which was lost. Seek and save that which was lost. That was one of his very reasons for coming is to find not just lost people but what mankind lost. Because he didn't just, there's other places where he said, seek and save the lost. But this time in Matthew, it's literally in there, in the original language, that which was lost. In other words, he was looking for things. There was something that mankind lost. There's something that we've, every person in this room, that we, lo- that we all have lost. And he can't, that's one of the reasons he came, is to find that thing we lost and restore it back to us. Okay, and that obviously is our relationship with the Lord and all that that means to have this relationship with God and be a part of God's family and be a part of of God's business on the earth. That was what Jesus came, one of the reasons, I think there's 15 things in the New Testament where Jesus says the reason He came, the purpose He came, the cause He came. There's 15 different things and some of them are sort of the same. But this one is very clear. He wasn't just talking about me and you as just being lost souls. There was something else. He wanted to save our souls, but he wanted to give us something. He wanted to restore us to something. In fact, in Acts, Peter's talking about, it says in Acts 3, that that heaven is holding on to Christ until the beginning of the restoration of all things. In other words, God is in this process of restoring things to mankind. He's in the process of it. And the end of it will be when Christ comes back. But right now, God's restoring things. And God wants to restore the church. He wants to restore people to their rightful place in His family. And He wants us to begin to see it's not just a matter of salvation because there's many saved people who don't have the sense that they belong in the family of God. They don't have a sense that they belong to God. They're looking for something to, to fulfill them still. And they're grasping for things still. And, and, and what God in this parable is trying to... He will, there's a revelation in this parable of how He wants to restore all people to Himself and to everything that He has. Are y'all following this? Y'all are kind of quiet this morning. It's really bothersome. See, I, I was another thing. I was, I was fearing about T.D. Jakes when his current, he really makes them flow with him. I thought, God, he's bold. I mean, he'll stop preaching, like, uh, and start fussing at him about not, like, God, what's wrong with y'all? But y'all think I'm bad? He is way worse than me. And then what's really funny about him was when, once they get, really get to going real wild and stand up, he'll just say, hey, why are y'all doing standing up? Sit down. Church is not over. It's hilarious. He's just an amazing guy. Just some things. I wouldn't do that to you, I promise. Uh, anyways, that's what I think Luke 15 is about. Here's some interesting things about it. Uh, I'm just going to tell you some information. Then I got a couple, couple of really things I wanted to, I feel real it's really good. I think all this is good. Uh, there's three, those three stories, okay? The lost sheep, the, the lost corn, and, the, and the, the parable of the lost son. 
uh, or the prodigal son is what they, they call it. And there's three things that it said. This is, this is amazing. Uh, they all have one thing in common. Something was lost and something was found and there was joy in heaven. Something was lost, something was Because it says in verse 6, Rejoice with me, there was joy on earth, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Uh, verse 9, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Uh, verse 24, This son of man, mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to make merry. As a matter of fact, ten time, at least ten times in the story, uh, this whole story, the words rejoice, joy, happiness, celebration, merry, are in this story. Which that really tells me something, uh, that God is really interested in that. He's interested in a party. He's interested in, in excitement. He's interested in, in people being happy, and people having joy, and people being merry, and people celebrating things. Where do, I was thinking about, where do we ever get this idea of celebrating birthdays? Okay? It came from God because everybody needs to be celebrated. Everybody needs, that's what he was trying to say in there. All people need to be celebrated. It's in the heart of man to be celebrated. You will find in this, this story that the son, the prodigal son, he went out and looking for a party. That's why he left. He wanted to go party and have fun. But he just was messed up about where he wanted to party at. Same thing with the elder brother. He said, you never threw a party for me and my friends. In other words, I'm looking for a party too. Both of them were looking for parties. Both of them were looking for Mary. Both of them, you know, making Mary and being and joyful. That's, that's a part of what God's heart is like. Because God is interested in that. God's interested in us being happy and being joyful and, having, and celebrating things. You know, you, there's a statement that's pretty good. is don't go where you're tolerated, go where you're celebrated. You ever heard that statement? I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think a lot of people are displaced because they don't feel celebrated. They feel like they're tolerated. They don't feel like they belong. You know, and that was one of the things that he was trying to teach in this story is that God celebrates that one sheep that has stroke, you know, drifted away. He celebrates that sheep so bad that he's going to go after it. Uh, let me read that verse to you just, um, you know, so you could hear it. I quoted it, it says, it's verse 4 and 5. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. He, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. Because God saw the value in that one sheep. He loved that one sheep. And he was willing to go look for it. Some people are like, well, you know, no good shepherd would leave the ninety-nine. You know, you look, people are idiots. <laughs> Like, dude, it's a story. He's trying to make a point. Okay, well, I left my assistants in charge of the 99. Could he just get over it, you know? <laughs> he was trying to make a point. The point wasn't about the 99. It was a point about that one who didn't feel valued for whatever reason. The one who drifted away because nobody celebrated him. That's really what, it's, what he's trying to talk about. And he was saying, I, cel I celebrate that one. I'm concerned about that one. And I think that's part of the Father's heart is He wants people to know that He celebrates that one. Uh, you know, there's this thing that people have come up with um, that's really bad, I think. Uh, and I think they got it from, probably got it from some really bad shepherds. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard this, that people say, uh, you know, the Lord bringing the thing, the sheep back on His back is because He broke its leg to keep Him from wandering off. Have you ever heard that? I would take a broken leg and beat whoever come up with that thought. Like, do you think God... Uh, God does not break people's legs because they wander off. I just want to clear that up right now. Just in case you've ever heard it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, there's some bad old crummy shepherd out there in the world who's probably done that because he's mean. You know, and woke up on that. But God does never would never do that. Think about it. I, my grandson will wander off in a heartbeat. Luke, get back up here. You know, going down the driveway to the road. Uh, the other night we was at a wedding and he had walked up to the parking lot by himself, you know. 
And I'm yelling, get to your mama right now, boy. But I would never dream of breaking his leg <laughs> to keep him from being a boy and do what boys do. I would just dream like, hey, you can't do that. That's off limits until you get to be a big boy. You know, some teaching, some wisdom, and some better watching. And so Jesus brought this, this sheep back. He picked it up. He didn't break his leg. He picked it up and brought it back on his, on his shoulders. Okay? So when somebody drifts from God, they're, God doesn't look down on them. God's not angry with them. God's not despising them. God's not going after them to hurt them. He's going, he's going to reach out to them. He's going to reach out to them. And that's what God want, That's one of the things that I believe is really important in this thing, this picture. And I think we need to treat people like God treats them. When we are around people who've drifted away from God, whether they've never found God in the first place, or there's people who are born, you know, and, and, and because they were born into this fallen world, they've never known the Lord, but they're, one, they're like lost sheep. You know, God's not angry with them. Um... So that's one of the, you know, the, the shepherd, the good shepherd, the Lord is in that. The next one is about the woman with the lost coin. Note that it says a woman. I think that's indicative of God. Several years ago, there was a book written by, called The Shack. Did anybody read The Shack? Well, one of the problems with The Shack that these mutts had <laughs> was God the Father was depicted in this book as a large, overweight black woman. And these theologians and people had just a terrible time with God being depicted as a large, overweight black woman. I personally didn't have a problem with it because in my life, there was a large, overweight black woman when I was a little boy that loved me to death. And I can remember her when I was a little boy. She helped my family when my grandma was living with us and dying. I remember one time I was sick. I remember her taking me in, in her arms and putting my head on her big bosom chest <laughs> and holding me like a baby because I was sick. It meant everything to me. I loved that woman to death, man. We, we became such close friends to him. And I remember when her husband, whose husband had a great name, his name was Seymour. Yeah. I love that. Seymour. That's prophetic. I always loved that name. But I remember when Seymour was dying, he was like in his 90s. And, you know, I was, I was this little boy, and, you know, things could weird you out, right? I mean, you go into this house, and it's just, you know, it's rough. They were poor. They were poor people. And he was on this cot. And I remember him, I remember walking in the room, and Seymour sat up on the cot and said, I patted it for me to come sit down beside him. And I was, I really didn't want to go sit beside him, to be honest with you. This is an old sick man, you know, he's dying, it's, you know, it was weird to me. But I did, I'm so glad I did, because he put his arm around me. He put his arm around me. And I remember this day, I'll never forget, I still can feel it in my heart, putting my arm around him, and his, uh, he was a bag of bones. And that's what I thought, oh, he's, he's pitiful, he's dying, he's, he's dying. But that man and that woman loved me. They loved me. You know, and to me, I don't care how anybody depicts God the Father. If they depict him as a big black woman, I'm in. You know, yeah, let's, let's do that. That's good. I can relate to that. Because God's Father's heart is bit as strong in women as it was in er- any man. I mean, just because a woman is, is a female, she, females, even though they came from Adam's rib, but God created Adam, they carry the image of God the Father in them. And so when we celebrate mothers, we're really celebrating the Father in them. And so I think it's beautiful that they've used the woman here. I think Jesus was really, and that, you know that, infuriated, infuriated the Pharisees that he was using the woman. Um, let me read that picture here. It says, What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? So here's the thing. The coin, you have the sheep that was lost into the world. You have the coin that never left the house, but the coin was lost in the house. Now see, what he's trying to do with those two parables, he's trying to set them up so they can see the third, the third parable 
the, about the son. But, and, and here's the thing with God. He knew those people listening could relate to sheep and money. That's why he was using those illustrations, to get them to see something. So many times as Christians, we're missing things, like the door thing. We're missing it. You see, probably, and he was trying his best to get them to see this, the sheep is going to represent this, this son, this prodigal son. The coin is going to represent this elder brother. Now, that's important. Because here's what happened. She searched in the house until she found the elder brother. The coins in those days had an image on them. Image of Caesar. And what, she, what, what that's really telling us is that man, that elder brother, that religious, striving, messed up person that somehow had drifted from God, that somehow we want to build this wall against those kind of people, had the same value to God that it all, it didn't lose its value. Didn't see, do y'all see that? Religious people, in God's eyes, have not lost their value. God still sees His image in them. And God still searches for them and looks for them in His house. He's searching for those people because He wants to reach those people. Now, I've always loved that. It says it lit. Uh, you know, it says she, she lit a lamp. Literally, that means she set a fire. She set a fire. And I think that's how God looks for the religious is He sets fires. And to me, fires speak of revival. I think that's why when I think about revival in the house of God, it's that. It's for us religious. And boy, you better know something. If you deny being religious, you are denying something. Because every one of us are operating under this cloak of religion that's in this world. And it's influencing us. And we're battling it. And we're fighting to be free of it. And we're asking the Lord, Becky and I are constantly saying, Lord, show us where religion is in us so we can get free. It's humiliating when he shows you. Because you realize, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't know I had that much religion in me still. I've been trying not to be religious all my Christian life. Yet there's still that spirit that operates in our life that influences. A good prayer for you to pray is ask the Lord to show you where you're being religious. And you'll be shocked at how the things he'll show you. That's just religion. I'll tell you something. Charismatic churches, spirit-filled churches, are some of the religious churches in the world. I'm, I'm telling you, we think a method, a traditional Methodist church or, tradi- or religious, we're way worse than them. Tell me, let's just get real here. We have certain things we want to see happen, and those things are meaningful to us. That's religion. What The thing we need to see happen is God shows up in whatever that looks like. Anything else is religion because we're trying to make God be the way we want Him to be in our image. Are y'all all right? Y'all ain't looking all right. Some of you are not really happy about what I just said about. I can freely say that about the charismatic church, the Pentecostal church. Although I don't term myself as a charismatic or Pentecostal, this, is, this definitely influenced us. So I'm, I'm easy to say we've got a lot of religion in this, in this church, this body. We've got a lot of religion that I think God wants to say, you know what, let's do. Let's light a fire and start sweeping. Let's light a fire and start sweeping. Let's just sweep that mess right on out the door, you know, and find the, the value that's really in people and get that religion because that religion is, 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 is hiding the value in people. One time, I'll tell you all this. Are, are you all okay? Yeah. One time I did this crazy thing. Oh, Lord, I, it was crazy. The Lord was moving, and I said, hey, Marlon. I saw Marlon. I saw the Lord sweeping Marlon's mind. This is funny. Remember this, Marlon? I saw the Lord take a broom and start sweeping in his mind. I said, hey, Marlon, you want me to go get a broom and sweep your mind? Well, you know Marlon's the kind of guy like, yeah, he's up for anything. If, he, if it's God, I'm in. I mean, we'll worry, about the, we'll worry about it later. So I go get this broom. Literally, I go back there in the daggone janitor's closet and get a real broom. And I tried to be real, you know, cool about it when I walked in. In fact, I was trying to hide the broom. I didn't want nobody really seeing me, you know, because I'm thinking this is really crazy. But I feel like God wants to do something for Marlon Magusi today. He wants to sweep some thoughts out of his mind that were in his mind. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to do that broom thing. And I'm stupid. I'm just a stupid guy. Like, if the Lord wants me, okay, well, okay, I'm going to do it. I really feel like I don't want to do it. I feel embarrassed and stupid, but I'm going to do it, Lord. 
and hopefully I can do it, and Marlon will be all right, and then I'll toss the broom over under the piano or something, and we'll just move on. So I go over there, and Marlon gets on the floor, lays down on the floor. So that was, I was really good. That's perfect. I can do it without having to do it up here. Nobody will see it. So I sweep his mind. You know, and I feel like God was really doing something in Marlon. I feel like God really was doing something. You know, even though I was the one having to be the fool in the situation, he was being the lesser of the fool. Let me do it. You know, maybe not, which is worse. You know, somebody going to be the fool and you're going to let them be the fool. <laughs> I don't know. But then I turned around and I was shocked. There was all these people lined up on the floor wanting me to sweep their mind. And so I'm really dumb at that point, like, well, I'm an exposed. And they're just as bad as I am. So I went and swept all their minds, and then later Jim Hill, I, he was one of the minds. He's not here, but I swept his mind. He complained to me, boy, you swept my mind so hard, I got my forehead all scratched up. <laughs> I literally scratched his head up. That's the truth. But I feel like it was one of those moments, and then somebody took pictures of it and stuck it on our website. <laughs> I'm serious. And we started getting phone calls from people like, what was that man, literally, I'm serious here, people called the church, what was that man with that broom doing to those people? And I said, I don't know what that man was doing. In fact, that man shouldn't have even been in that church. And I said, get those pictures off the internet, because I don't want this church to be known for just doing it outrageous stuff. I mean, it's okay to do outrageous stuff, but don't let that be the main thing that people are calling about. I mean, you know, take some pictures of people receiving prayer, or, you know, something more, you know, anybody can relate to. Not many people can relate to getting their heads swept in church. Well, that's what this reminds me of. God is wanting to sweep. And I do think, a lot of times we think about sweeping the room Physically, it's not that. It really is our minds, it's our heart that he wants to sweep stuff out of. Because in life, dirt and dust accumulate in the house. I don't care how hard you try. When you walk in your house, you brush your feet off, you get a mat at the door. And, and then there's one right inside the door in our house because we have hardwood floors. We mat wipe it. But there's always dust and dirt. I'm amazed. I always, we got one of them vacuum cleaners. I got those clear things, you know, the canisters you vacuum. And you look at all this dust and stuff in there. And you're amazed that all of that was there just in the course of life. And that's, that's really when we talk about revival. And, and I know that can be near many different things. But that's what I'm talking about. Getting all that out. Getting all that out. So the image of God that's in each one of us, whether we're elder brothers or younger brothers or anything in between or mixture of both, that image can come forth because that woman valued that one coin as much as she valued the others. See, that's the, the common thing, the value of that, that coin. And it was just, and I pray that God would do that with us. I pray He would sweep the stuff, the stuff that gets on us. We're not out, most of you, I don't think most of you are out trying to do, live bad lives. Most of people in this church... Maybe a couple of you are kind of bad, you know, like doing some bad stuff on the side. Doesn't matter. Even if you're one of those people doing bad stuff, most people, you're accumulating dust and stuff from the world. That's why Jesus said, when, they, when Peter said, hey, don't wash my feet right next to her. Uh-uh, no, no, you don't need to wash my feet. No, if I don't wash your feet, I have nothing, you have nothing to do with me. Oh, well, wash all of me, Lord. And he said, I don't need to wash all of you. Because you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. But I do need to wash your feet because you live in a world that things accumulate on you. And occasionally he comes. And in my case, I decided to not wash feet. I decided to sweep, sweep minds. <laughs> it's the same thing, though. I believe it is. It really is. It's the same. It's just a different expression. Instead of a foot-washing church, we're a sweeping church. <laughs> and we have a Bible verse here to prove it. I'd be going really too far to say that, honestly. My mama was part of a, a she was a foot-washing Baptist. It's what she grew up in. And you know what she told me when she first did our church? It's like, well, y'all kind of rambunctious, but not nowhere near what we were. Y'all were kind of quiet compared to how we were. I said, what kind of church was it, Mom? We were foot-washing Baptists. Or in another word, they called them shouting Baptists. 
It's just an old country church. And there was a lot of good things came out of that church. The, the best thing that came out of that church, as far as I'm concerned, was my mama. And I hate it. Let me read this other thing. Are y'all getting tired of me? Uh, I'm going to jump down to verse 12. You know, it says, The younger, there was two sons. The younger said to the father one day, uh, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So, their culture is like our culture is most of the time you don't get your inheritance until the person dies, right? I mean, that's typical. I mean, I know there's different ways of doing that. But especially in that culture, this is true about that culture. It, when that son said this to the father, it was like saying to the father, I just wish you were dead. That's what the father heard being in that culture. I wish you were dead. Now, that would be very, I'm going to tell you something. You want somebody to hurt you? Your kids can hurt your heart so bad that it's incredible. You know, a friend of mine told me this one time when I had little children. He said, Byron, I'm going to tell you this right now. You better get this. When they're little, they step on your toes. When they get big, they'll step on your heart. I didn't get that at the time. You know, they're stepping on my toes because they were getting in the way of my life and me didn't do things, you know, because he said, but when they, get, when they get older, they'll step all over your heart. If you've had a parent, any parents in here whose their kids have wounded them, it's the worst of the wounds. It's the worst. I mean, the, probably the only worst wound you could actually have is if your spouse wounded you like that. But it's, it, it's, and that's really what was happening with this father here. But it was even worse. There was bitterness, and he was, and because he was rejecting the father at that moment, because he wanted to go and live this life, and so he, he did it. And also that part, he said he divided their, their inheritance to, to, like, let me get this. So he divided to them. Everybody say them. Yeah. What happened there, most people miss, he didn't just give the inheritance to the one son. Both sons in this story got their inheritance. He went ahead and emptied his bank accounts. And, and however, that you know, the, where the visions were between the two, both sons got. I think that's really critical to understand that one little word he divided to them it's critical to understand this okay uh, but it, but in the Greek it literally says this he gave them his life he gave them his life he gave everything that he had everything that represented him he gave it to his sons that's what that's what fathers do that's what that's a picture of God the Father in heaven giving us his one-of-a-kind only son to us. He gave his very heart. He gave his very life to us in, in the form of Christ. That's a powerful picture there. And so, as you well know uh, from the story, the son, you know, went out and just partied like a maniac and probably got strung out on drugs of his day, you know, and then he wound up one day broke and there was a famine. He wound up feeding pigs, which was terrible for a Jewish boy. And he was starving to death. He, he wanted to, can you imagine wanting to eat pig slop? You were so starving. He was wanting, I don't know if y'all have ever seen pig slop, but uh, it's not something you'd want to eat. But if you were starving to death, it says he longed for it, to fill his stomach with slop. That's how bad he was. And so he decided one day, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to be a slave for the rest of my life of my day. I said, but see, the thing, it wasn't just at that moment that he was going to be a slave. He already was a slave in his heart. He was a slave. He was a slave to, to immorality and a slave to the things that he was doing. And he was a slave when he wanted to go back. I'll just go and be a slave to you if I can just live, live here and because you, you feed your slaves. You feed the people that work for you. That was what he was saying. And, of course, we know the i got to hurry up. We know the father gave him, you know, the father fell on him and wept. He was the, the son was the 99. He was the one sheep that went away. And it says the father was out there looking for him. I can imagine every day this father stepping out in the porch of his house and looking over the horizon to see if perhaps today this son that I dearly love, perhaps he's going to show up today. And when he did, it says the father went out and ran to him. He didn't even get to the house and fell on him and wept. It says the father fell on him and wept. He didn't say, all right, and you sorry, rascal. And the guy, and the kid started trying to go through this I'm repenting thing. And it's like the father, like, no, don't say it. I don't want to hear it. And he said, go bring him the, you know, the ring, the robe, and the sandals. Quick, sandals. Only slaves went barefoot. So he wanted to make sure you're not a slave. 
That's what he was trying to tell him. You're not a slave. And he gave him this ring, which was like the equivalent to, you know, access to the family fortunes, all the authority, you know, the family seal. That's how they did it in those days. They'd have a ring. They'd go buy something. They would stamp it in this wax. And then later they would get the money. That's the father gave him all this authority to operate on behalf of the family. And then they gave him his best robe, which was his robe. And what is, what is God's best robe? It's Christ. He gave it to him right there. You're covered. All that's covered. All that's gone. And he brought him into the house and he told the other people, like, listen, we're going to have a party. So he had this party. And they were just really whipping it up big time in there because everybody loves a party, right? Unless you're an introvert. And then you pray before you go to a party. Oh, God, help me because i got to go here and I feel embarrassed and I feel stupid and I don't know what to say to people. I went to a party last night and I said, Becky, pray. we got to pray before we went there because I feel stupid. I feel embarrassed. I feel uncomfortable being around all these people. And I knew most of those people. <laughs> it's the crazy thing about it. Well, the party was fun. Now, there was this, let me finish this. Okay, there was an older brother in the field. Okay? And he come and he hears all this commotion going on. So he asked them, hey, what's going on? And they said, hey, your brothers come home. There's a party. Your daddy's really happy right now. And he says he became really angry and refused to go in. Refused. He was angry. He was mad. Just mad. And the, the servant went in and told the father, like, hey, you know, you need to go talk to him because he's being difficult and I don't want to deal with him. He's not going to listen to me anyway. You're the only person that has any influence over him. You ever been in one of those situations? Like, oh, God, i got to go talk to him. Are they going to shoot me? (laughs) Uh, One time in my other career, this guy got fired because he was being mean. And he finally went off on somebody, and they called me up and said, you got to go tell him. What do I have to tell him for? He don't even work for me. And I went down and I said, man, I hate to do this. I really do. I'm fat. I don't even know why I'm having to do it. And his face was red as a beet. And he was a big guy. And I was thinking, this guy, I hope he don't start no fight with me because I'm, I'm not going to do this if he does. I'm running out. I'm not fighting. I said, oh, you just get your stuff and come on, man. Don't do anything. Make it easy on yourself. That's what I told him. Because they said you're gone. I mean, I'm just a bad messenger. I can imagine that servant thinking, I'm not going to be that messenger. I'm getting the daddy out here. So the father comes out, and it says the father pleaded with that brother. Now, here's another thing from that custom. It was the older brother's job to co-host the party. And so what he was doing, he was adding a It's like the younger son, I wish you were dead. It was like he was highly insulting. It would have been a humiliation for the father in the community that the older brother would treat him like that. So you can see how both brothers treated their dad like dirt like trash, you know, and just pushed, you know, pushed him aside. And so the father said, you know, he pleaded with him and told him, this is, we've got to rejoice. And, you know, he said, he said, uh, he answered his father in verse 29, uh, look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of you, not of yours, never. I've been doing all this for you, and then you do that for that brother who did nothing. Has anybody ever felt that way besides me? You see, God put favor on Melissa Forsythe. Like, Dang I've been doing all this stuff, Lord, and she gets favor. <laughs> I didn't really think that, but I could have. I could have been offended by it. Because there's been a time in my life when I saw God's blessing on other people, and I was offended. I was offended that He was blessing them, and in my mind, I should be blessed. Why are not not being blessed? Why, why is God not showing up in my life? Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? Why is their minister being blessed and, and mine's not? All that. Has, am I talking to anybody? Am I the only fool in this room who thinks that way? You know, we all think that it's the fallen nature in us that wants to look at other people and resent them for the blessings of God on their life. Some people kill over that. They literally kill people over that. And so this guy's struggling. He's struggling in his heart. But just remember, this is what he said. I've got to say this. He said, I've been serving you and 
doing all this, and you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends, meaning I don't really want to celebrate with you, Dad, cook, you're good, Dad. I don't really want to have a party with you. See, both sons were looking for a party. Everybody's looking for a party. But how many people won't feel like they can have a party with God? Not the church don't think that way. We think like those boys. We want to have a party. So one of them goes out there in the world to have a party. The other one wants whoever those friends are. We don't see God the Father as somebody that can party with us. I'm telling you, we, we need to get that. God is looking for a party. And he's looking for people who want to say, I'll come to your party because I think you're a lot of fun, God. You know, I don't want to go because my dad's going to be there. You know how he is. He's kind of stiff. This is what he said in verse 31. Note what he said to him. Son. 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 Everybody get that for a minute. The coin. Same value. As far as that father was coming, after all the insult, after all the stuff he said to him, what's he saying to him? Son. In other words, he still saw this person as somebody he deeply loved and deeply valued. That's that's what he was saying to him. Like, I'm your daddy. I love you. You're everything to me. Even though you're doing all this and acting so terrible, he didn't... He could have, you know, like, okay, be that way, jerk. See if I talk to you anymore. I mean, daddies are, na- you know, normal, right? When your kids, you could easily be that way. You could, uh, I could. And then he says, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. All that is mine. All that, see, that was his problem. He didn't know that. Remember, he gave them the inheritance. Somehow he didn't get the message. You got the inheritance. Somehow he didn't get the message that everything, in other words, what he's saying, you can have a party anytime you want to because you have access to everything I have. And see, that's where Christianity, that's somewhere, that's where we have this disconnect in our lives. So we have a disconnect and we've got to do certain things to measure up, to get God's favor, for God to, to have this joy, to have this excitement. And he was saying, no, you don't have to do that. Matter of fact, you've got always got the favor. You don't have to labor for it. It's great that you're out working. Actually, your work would be really nice if you worked from a place of knowing this. Like you had ownership in that. It would make you want to work and enjoy your work because you knew you had ownership in it. He wasn't putting down work. He was just putting down that mindset, that heart of striving to get something. Are y'all following that? This is, this is like the vital thing, I think. So, anyways, so... All right, let me just finish this. Oh, I wanted to tell you, uh, the first time this happened in the Bible was in Genesis 4. There was two brothers. There was Cain, elder brother. There was Abel, younger brother. The Bible says Cain killed Abel because Cain brought the earth, the, earth, the effort of his hands to God. And God said, mm, that ain't really what I'm looking for. I don't want your efforts. Abel brought a sacrifice. He brought blood to the Lord. That was speaking of Christ. That he was trusting in something besides what he could do. That was a picture. Everybody is either a Cain or Abel or a mix between the two at some point in their life. We're, we're, we're striving. We're making effort. And we're wondering why God's not happy about it. And we're doing all this stuff. And that was what... The older brother was. He was Cain. He had the Cain heart. Had the spirit of Cain on him. You know? And God said, no, you know, Abel. Abel's trusting in something besides what he can do. I'm already pleased with Abel because he brought blood. He came under the blood of Christ. Well, you know, the blood of goats. But speaking of the blood of Christ. That's pretty, pretty beautiful, isn't it? I think it is. So, all right, let me just finish. One, both sons wanted a celebration. Everybody wants to be celebrated. Everybody wants to feel valued. Here's here's a trick. I was thinking about that prayer in Ephesians. The know, part of Ephesians 1, to know, the spirit of wisdom and to know, the second part of it, or third part of it, to know how valuable we are to God. That's when we... Start getting that, that we're valuable. God values us. 
who we are, when we begin to really believe that, it'll change your life. It'll change everything about you. Instead of trying to find value in what you do and value that people, other people like what you do and other people accept it. See, all of that, all that's kind of important, okay? Because we do need other people. But I tell you, if you have not settled this thing in your heart about your value to God, that God values you he, like he valued that older brother and even though he was messed up, he was pleading with him. It's telling him, I've, got, I've given you everything. I love you. I want. The sad story, thing about that story, it ends there with the older brother outside the house, mad and angry. That's how it ends. It don't end like, oh, yeah, I'm so, God, I wish, Dad, I'm so sorry. I, I, I didn't end like that. It ended very well for the little bad guy who went out and committed all kinds of hideous sins. You know, it ended well for him. Do you want your life to end well? It'd be better to be a, a bad sinner and come to the Father like that than versus some guy who went to church all his life and had some attitude like that towards God. That would be a bad way to end with God. It'd be a bad way to end your day today if you have that. Both wanted a, a party. Uh, anyways, I think um, there's things that make us all happy, you know, if certain things happen in our life. And that's, that's normal. But the way to get that true happiness is to get established that God values you and loves you for who you are dearly. And He's given His all for you. And begin to know that and live out of that. And then all those other things that will make you happy. Like, oh, well, if I don't preach good on Sunday, I'm not real happy Sunday afternoon, honestly. I'm just being honest with you. Okay? But at the end of the day, me not preaching good, does that really matter to anything? I mean... Honestly, it doesn't. People got bored. Tough. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. That is not going to make or break my life. You know, I might, well, you know, I need to ask the Lord to help me more. But to tell you the truth, I'm not finding my value in this. I'm not finding my identity in this. I get value out of it. I get identity out of it. But I want to get my value and identity from Him. I want to know that I'm being celebrated in heaven. Not just here. Because you know what? It's like a good friend of mine says. As high as people will lift you up in praise. That's how far they'll take you down. You're going down with these people. Eventually. And so what God wants us to do is to really know that He values us. I mean, tremendously. And that's one of the things he was trying to get through in that story. The, you bad sinners, he's not going to break your leg. He's going to go looking for you and grab a hold of you and bring you into himself and carry you back to the fold. And you people who seem to be all got it together, Christians, and want to be bad on the homosexuals and bad on this person and bad on that, he loves you. He looks at your heart and sees how valuable you are. You never... Quit being valuable to God. That's really powerful. Everybody needs to be celebrated. You know, one thing that you and I can do practically uh, for the people that we're around, and like people in our church, people in our family, neighborhoods, work is celebrate people. Start celebrating people. I'm running over time. I wanted to tell you this. Are y'all okay? I used to, when I was working in the engineer world, I had this I had this amazing favor on me. I had more favor there than I have here. I said, like, why did I get demoted in favor? And I always tell people, go where the favor is. I tell them for a reason, because I went where I didn't have as much favor. I had to start from the bottom again. But I realized this is why I had favor, because I genuinely loved people I worked with. And I would listen to them. I would encourage them. And they weren't Christians. The majority of them weren't. In fact, I'll be honest with you. There was a few Christians there that I avoided because you know what they would do? They'd go out there and take their big old King James Bible and slam it down on their desk where everybody could hear it. I'm establishing something here. No, you're not. You're turning everybody off because they think you're mean. And they think God's mean. You're not doing anything but perpetuating a lie. Why don't you go and love on these people and listen to them? 
And tell them good things about themselves. Tell them stuff. Ask God, tell me what about this person. You don't have to say, well, God has told me. Just tell them. Just say it to them. God will tell you stuff about people. And those people really loved me and cared about me because I loved them and cared about them. And I think that's what this thing teaches. Jesus loved those people he was with at the first. The sinners, the worst of people, he loved them. And he didn't mind being identified with them. He wasn't being identified with their sin. He was identified with those human beings that God looked at, that God dearly loved. He didn't go along with their bad stuff. He just went along with who they were and tried to show them that they were valuable people and that there was somebody in this world that was willing to listen to them and when they talked and willing to say good things about them and point out the things in them that were really good. And I think when we begin to treat people like that, it opens doors, opens lots of doors. It really gave me favor with the big bosses. For some reason, they liked me. It was because I loved and cared for the people that they were depending on in their company. Are y'all all right? I know. This is, and so I think the reason I, one of the reasons I'm sharing it is, is uh, this word this person gave me, Pam Curran. She gave me that word, and it was kind of a surprise to me. And I've been asking the Lord about it, trying to be nice to my neighbors. Becky's really good at that. Really great reaching out to neighbors. I'm great at complaining about them. Like, God, they, they're cutting their grass again. Are they trying to make me look bad? Their grass is always cut. I feel like I'm always playing catch up. No, I just think God wants to change the way we think. First, about Him. Second, about ourselves. And third, about the other people around us. People in this room, people in your house, people at your business, and people out there in the world. And when we begin to do that, you know, I think people can find that there's a God in heaven that celebrates them and loves them, cares about them. I think that's the greatest move of God on the earth. I think that's the great move of God that God wants to bring on the earth is that. I think he wants to bring it into the church. I think he wants to bring it out there in the world. And I've told the Lord, that's, if that's what you want to do, count me in, I'm in. I'm totally in. Let's stand up and let me pray for you. Gino. Yeah. Lord, I just want to pray. I pray somebody heard something this morning that spoke to their heart. Woo, Lord, thank you. Lift your hands to heaven. And just, well, I just pray, Father, people would feel valued in this room. Somehow, the ones that don't feel valued, Lord, Lord, help us to let them know that they're important. Help us. Help us to let the people around us in our lives as we, that they're important, that we can see what you see about them, Lord. I just ask you to give us that gift to see people the way you see them. And Lord, that somehow to be able to love the unlovely. Lord, help us. Lord, we can't imagine loving somebody like the... We can imagine loving a prodigal, Lord, that came home and was willing to change. It's hard for us to love the, the rule keepers, the religious, the ones that want to put everybody down, the ones who walk around with their nose held high that they're better than everybody else. Help us to love them also, Lord. Help us to love, Lord. Lord, bring, bring that move of God, of prophetic anointing mixed with the love of God. God's love being demonstrated through the voice of God and through the acts of God. I just ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Bless this congregation, I pray, Lord. Man, can we ask the, or can we ask? <laughs> Ministry team, come on up. <laughs> mm. You know, I, I remember when I was um, when I was a kid, I had a real, real hard time with my grandfather. He uh, he was just plain mean to me, and um, I had this real hate for him. And then someone told me that if I didn't forgive him, I would actually become like him. 
And as I grew up, became a young father, I had not forgiven my grandfather. And I began to see traits in me that were the very ones that I hated in him. And that really was coming to pass. And the Lord led me to a place where I was able to truly forgive him and and be freed from that. And it, it seems like when we see something in someone else that we really don't like, if we really search for it, it's because we have some of that in us. We don't like it in us. And so it's just magnified in somebody else. And I feel like what Byron was saying this morning, that, that forgiveness is really even a big part of this message. That when there's things that you see in other people that you can't handle, that you don't like, that makes you want to alienate them, that forgiveness is that first step. And forgiveness in them, but also just even asking forgiveness in yourself. If the Lord's forgiven you, you need to forgive yourself also. So, Father, thank you for this day. And thank you that even though Byron may go home sometimes thinking he didn't preach a good sermon, I don't think any of us do. Thank you for the shepherd you've given us over this church. The shepherds you've given us over this church. Yeah. Amen. And Lord, we just ask right now that you pour out that showers of blessing over us. For the people coming forward for for prayer, they're not coming to these people. They're coming to you, Lord. And you'll work through these people to minister to them. And everything that we pray is yes and amen. In Jesus' name, amen.